And I was wondering if you could tell us where your own spouse proposed. Not over a dead body. <laughs> not over Alas. a dead body. Thank goodness. That's okay. It's great in fiction, but not so much in real life. Welcome to the Get Cozy Podcast. I'm Christy Meyer, your host, and I'll be bringing you author interviews and plenty of books to keep your TBR piles toppling. So grab a cup of your favorite hot beverage and let's get cozy. Hello, my cozy friends. Welcome back to the show. I am so, so pumped about today's episode because we have my friend Samantha Larson with us today to celebrate the launch of her new historical mystery, A Novel Disguise. And this is going to just be so much fun. So welcome to the show, Samantha. Thank you, Christy. I'm so delighted to be here. Oh, I'm delighted to have you because like I said, you are one of my dear friends in real life. So this is so exciting for me. And I'm so pumped that we get to celebrate the launch of your newest book, A Novel Disguise. So do you want to kick us off today by telling our listeners what that book is all about? Sure. Um, it starts with Tiffany, Miss Tiffany Woodall. She's a 40-year-old spinster, and she lives with her half-brother, who is a librarian for the Duke of Beaufort. And the morning of her 40th birthday, her brother doesn't come downstairs for breakfast, and she discovers that he's dead. And um, But because he is the librarian, that's why they have their cottage. Um, so without him, she's homeless. She has no money, no place to go. And so in a desperate moment, she decides that she's going to bury him in the back garden and take over his identity so that she can have income and a place to live. And then, of course, um, things get a little interesting because she's not really a man. And the local rector tries to court her, but she's trying to be both her brother and herself. And then, of course, um, another body ends up, another person ends up dead. And so... She has to figure out who who murdered her brother and this other woman before that person comes to murder her. Mm -hmm. Oh my goodness. I loved it so much. I think uh, something common in all of your books is they're very witty. They're very fun. You have like this light, upbeat tone. There's some really like laugh out loud moments, but you've also got this amazing mystery. You've got great themes in this book and I just absolutely devoured it. It's such a good book. Oh, thank you. I'm so glad. Of course. And now I know that you attended university in England. So did that experience help to shape the type of books that you write today? Um, definitely. I've always been in love with England. Anglophile is such a funny word, but it's true. Uh -huh. I don't think England and living there just um, going to university there, just seeing the buildings, how people once lived, and and especially in in a novel disguise. Often when we read historical fiction, we we focus on the dukes and the duchesses and the arist aristocracy, and the, the glittering estates and palaces. But Tiffany is, I would say, lower middle class, um, and she's only middle class because of her birth and education. She doesn't have any money, and so how the poorer side lived, the poverty, um, and, and seeing how those two go together, I think is really interesting. And I still just absolutely love anything about England, especially their chocolate. 
<laughs> especially their chocolate yeah definitely they have the best chocolate I agree with that a thousand percent and I just have to say how much I enjoyed the way that you showed uh, the reality of what those social conditions were like at that time I thought it added a lot of depth to the novel I walked away feeling like I learned a lot about the time period so for readers who love historical fiction this is definitely a must read you're my favorite person <laughs> Well, likewise, uh, it's it's so fun to get to chat with someone on the podcast who I know in real life. I don't think I've ever gotten to do this before, so this is really fun for me. Yes, I know what you look like, and I know how wonderful you are, so this <laughs> makes me feel very comfortable. I know. It's just going to be like a love fest, this whole podcast episode, which does remind me to listeners, for those of you who are in the Utah area, uh, Samantha has a launch party for this book on Thursday the 18th, which is going to be this Thursday as of the day that I'm airing this episode. So we want to see all of your faces there. Yes, and I have lacy masks for your faces. Always the funnest stuff at your events. I love it. So one of the things that I just love so much about this book is the way that your main character, Tiffany, turns gender roles on their head. The song, If I Were a Man by Taylor Swift, was like totally playing in my head while I was reading. So did you listen to any music while you were writing this book? Um, I don't listen to music with words when I'm writing because it, it's hard to focus. Mm -hmm. um, everyone's different. I've never met two authors who draft the same way. But um, I love the soundtrack to Bridgerton. <laughs> so oh. that was almost always playing in my in my house when I'm writing. And I really like the their um, cover of Strange. That is such a great soundtrack for this book. Now I think I'm going to have to like reread it while I'm listening to that and just get, get that like immersive reading experience. That would be awesome. <laughs> yeah, that's so fun. It is so interesting how some authors will like have a television show on or like music with all the lyrics going and then some authors it has to be like dead silent no sound whatsoever for them to to focus and write yeah and it's just you know everyone's different some people love to um use stick it notes post-it notes i i can't imagine trying to do that i like to draft in a, in a document so yeah every author does it their own way uh-huh yeah which is which is great. It's nice that you can kind of customize your writing experience to fit your own style. But it also sometimes I think would just be so nice if someone would just be like, this is the way you write a book and you just follow those steps and that's it. Because sometimes it's so overwhelming. Yes. Didn't you write your novel first um, in a notebook? before you typed it out? Mm -hmm. Yeah, my first one. And I did that um, because, so we do get a lot of amazing author events here in Utah, um, mostly because of our indie bookstore, the King's English Bookshop, who I can't shout out on this podcast enough. Um, but they had Neil Gaiman here one time and I went to his event and he said, like, if you are drafting a novel and you keep getting like one or two chapters in and then you think it's garbage and you delete everything and you never move forward, what you should do is just draft your whole novel in a notebook so you can't hit the delete button. And that worked for me, but it's it's different for everybody. Yeah, for sure. That's really, that's interesting advice. I like it. I know. Thank you, Neil Gaiman. For so many things. <laughs> for so many things. Exactly. 
Um, so I do have to talk about another thing that I loved in this novel was all the different books that you reference. You have like the Castle of Otranto and Clarissa and I love the way that you showed how people felt like reading novels wasn't an appropriate hobby for women during the time. So are there any book genres you think people unjustifiably look down on today? Definitely. Um, I feel like any commercial fiction is sometimes looked down upon, which is funny because we read Jane Austen and Charles Dickens and we say this is literature. Mm -hmm. Or even Mark Twain, but at that time, they were commercial fiction. Right. They were popular authors. Um, especially romance, I think, gets a black eye. Yeah, I agree completely. Which I think is totally unfair. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. There's so many amazingly talented authors working in the romance genre today. Like it's just mind-boggling to read some of their books and the the quality of their their prose and their dialogue. Like it just is it just like blows me away. I, I wish I could write like some of them. It's the same. And also because they have so much of theirs is based on emotion and mm -hmm. um, trauma and overcoming trauma and coming together. I think sometimes if something is seen, even today, if something is seen as a woman's sort of book or women's right. fiction or romance, it's considered less prestigious or less intellectual. And that's frustrating. I hope in another, well, what this, this book is, was set about 250 years ago. I hope in another 250 years that women's work is considered on the same level as men's. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, I agree completely. It seems like anytime there's like uh, feelings that are traditionally associated with women being like the main tone of the novel, it's looked down upon, um, which is really frustrating both as a reader and as a, as a writer. And we can just hope that one day that changes because if you look at like you said like Jane Austen like people look down at her books back in the day and now like they are just um touted as like these grand works of literature and they have survived the test of hundreds and hundreds of years and we still love those books for for reasons yes and it's because of those emotions we can identify mm -hmm. with those characters and we and we see their struggles and we see how they overcome them and that's a very powerful thing yeah, I agree completely. One of my favorite scenes I have to mention. So you have a gentleman by the name of Mr. Shirley who proposes to Tiffany um, quite literally over a dead body, which is hilarious. It's such a funny scene. And I was wondering if you could tell us where your own spouse proposed. Um, not over a dead body. <laughs> not over oh, a dead body. Thank goodness. That's okay. It's great in fiction, but not so much in real life. Not in a graveyard, no. Um, <laughs> the, the U of U suspension bridge, do you know where that is in Salt Lake City? If you've ever been there, it has a gorgeous view of the valley. I and we do. had gone there on one of our dates. And that's where he knelt down and proposed. And I said yes a lot of times. A lot of times. Oh, I love that. That's such a great story. And didn't you guys meet at like uh, in line at like a sandwich shop or something? Like you had a fun meet cute. Yes, um, actually, it wasn't a sandwich shop. It was the library staff day. Oh, much um, better. <laughs> I'm not sure. So Salt Lake County Library um, has over 500 employees. And so that was, I think they've only done like maybe one other staff day since then. So it was a really rare thing. And we, 
our badges had the color of sandwich we had we'd picked so we were both in a really long line for turkey sandwich you couldn't move because your badge said turkey sandwich so yeah love in the turkey sandwich line Oh my goodness. I love that. That's uh, definitely kismet. It was. So uh, like we've mentioned, you do a really wonderful job of discussing the types of roles that women were allowed to have at this point in history. And Tiffany herself is labeled as a certified spinster. So what would make a woman be considered a spinster during that time period? So it's interesting. Again, we tend to focus on Jane Austen really talked about the middle class. And then Regency Romance really focuses on the upper class or the aristocracy. And so when we study them, um, at 17 was typically when a young woman would debut. Mm -hmm. And she had a couple of years before they would call her on the shelf. Um, Or there was always the term an ape leader in hell, which, oh my gosh, that's like the worst thing ever. Oh my goodness. I know. Can you imagine it? A better insult. But... um, if you were a lower class woman, it would it was actually quite common for you to earn your dowry before you married. So, an a lower class woman could could wait to marry till her late twenties, just so that she had the financial means to um, bring to the marriage. Because Tiffany is born a gentlewoman, even though she's very poor, she would have been in that. 17 to 25 age range would have been the normal time to get married mm-hmm. because she just turned 40. Um, she is on the shelf for sure. Yeah. And isn't it so interesting that like the, the women are labeled as spinsters, but the men are what, like eligible bachelors? <laughs> like, is it, it, That's what I remember from reading Jane Austen was the men were the bachelors. Yes. And it's not, a bachelor doesn't carry the same kind of negative connotation connotations that a spinster does right yeah and the idea is that a spinster was just an economic burden and so what they would do is they do the spinning for the home because they brought no other income or value to Mm -hmm. the family which is a terrible thing it is it is but I do have to say that I really enjoyed that you made Tiffany the age that she was like having a 40 year old woman um, in a Regency novel, I don't. I personally haven't read one with a an older female protagonist before, so I thought that was fascinating, um, and I really appreciate that you did that. I love her age too because I'm also forty, so mm-hmm. I can um, relate to her as well. But also, I think we we as authors and readers, we we make coming of age novels about young adults or teenagers, and I think. And then we call middle age the crisis instead of the coming of age. And so I, uh-huh. I hope that this book is a coming of middle age right. for um, Tiffany, where she sees her future as one with great possibilities instead of um, her life, you know, is over as she knows it. Right. Oh, my goodness. I, I love that coming of middle age because it's not like we stop. Uh, changing and growing at least hopefully once (laughs) you know we turn like 20 years old like we're always changing and growing and going through different things at different points in life it's not like you're just totally settled once you turn 20 so I I think that's great we need a, a whole movement around that coming of middle age so you also go in depth into racial injustice and the legal system in this novel Obviously, that's still such a rampant issue today, but how did you approach the task of researching what that looked like during the time period the novel is set in? 
Um, I think a lot of the times, kind of like what you've mentioned before, we talk about Jane Austen and a lot of the other authors, and there's not really very many people of color mentioned or not at all. Mm-hmm. And so we wrongly assume that they are not in England at this time. And I remember I, was, I watched Bridgerton and a lot of people were saying, well, that's not like it was. And obviously they took a lot of liberties, but I was amazed that there was more diversity than I would have known. Like you would be far more likely to meet a person of color than you would be a Duke. Mm-hmm. Um, Dukes were actually rarer than people of color. So, um, but in, re- in Reads Your Romances, Dukes are coming out your ears. <laughs> right, that's so true. Um. When I was drafting this, it was also during a very critical time in the Black Lives Matters movement Mm -hmm. um, during COVID. And I'm not a specialist. I hope I'm an advocate. But I was I was thinking, have I done enough? What what is my role? What is my responsibility? How can I fight against injustice? How can I support people of color? And I feel like I tried to do that through the lens of Tiffany. She wonders, am I doing enough? And am I doing the right things? Mm-hmm. And I'm sure those those questions can still be answered and still continue to change. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I love that you incorporated that into this book. Um, this book is a historical mystery, but it also is uh, definitely under the umbrella of like cozy historical mystery. I think a lot of cozy mystery readers will be picking it up. So um, I love that you included important social issues. We're seeing that more and more in the cozy genre, which I really appreciate. Um, I think that's going to definitely contribute to the longevity of the, the genre and bringing in more and more younger readers who I uh, think it's really important to have issues like this highlighted in their fiction. Um, but was that at all intimidating for you when you had to try to sell the book? Um, well, my agent had to sell it. But <laughs> right. <laughs> no, I think it. Um, I think we're even as a society. There's a new movie coming out called Chevalier, and I've actually studied about that. They called him the Black Mozart, and I can't wait to uh-huh. see that new film. Um, I saw the movie Bell about Dido Elizabeth Bell, who was the daughter of a naval captain, John Lindsay, and an enslaved African woman. And so I think the more our media shows that people of color existed at this time, I think it and becomes more normal. When I was studying it, I was fascinated to learn how many different occupations. I think we always assume that they must have been servants. Mm-hmm because of slavery and literally one of my main one of my main characters Thomas was born into slavery but slavery was out um was outlawed by the time he was a young man uh-huh. but um black people held all sorts of positions like parish constable parish priest church warden barrister victualler coal trader cabinet maker actress drummer gardener groom member of the militia sailor seaman soldier teacher of sword fighting sheriff and even the justice of the peace so there were black people holding positions of importance at this time Mm -hmm. oh my goodness i'm so glad to get to to chat with you and listen to all the the research that you've done um to shed light on the the reality of what the situation actually was um and since you did live there how much research did you have to do um on 
all the the social issues, but also just like the setting and the time period in general. I actually, so I have a bachelor's in history and a master's in English and literature and history and literature. Uh-huh. And the master's is from the University of Reading in the UK. I would have to say that I've studied this for 20 years, so it's hard to say where different things. What was so exciting about this particular book is I narrowed it specifically on people. Um, a lot of the things were on fashion because Tiffany's trying to dress like her brother. So I, I did a lot right. of research on fashion. And I was shocked to hear that they used mouse fur to create eyebrows. Still still traumatized by that one. But, um, <laughs> oh so, but I, I think even 20 years ago when I went to university, we weren't focused as much on um, inclusive inclusivity then. And so it was, it's been really fun this last four or five years focusing on people of color. And mm-hmm. I just learned that one in three gentlemen who worked in India were either married to a native woman or had her as a mistress and had children with her. And so that's one third of your population, you know, that's a lot. Mm-hmm. And so of course, a lot of them went to England, there was some in India. And I think for so long, we kind of ignored the uncomfortableness of, of racial undertones and, and putting it to the front. And again, I'm not sure always my characters behave as they, they could, but I, I hope to present everyone in a light of where they are doing their best and they're just people who are flawed but beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, I agree completely and I uh, hope that we can stop seeing so much erasure of of all different kinds of people in historical novels because clearly that was not the case. No and even women um, I, I like we've mentioned before with the legal terms I feel like I'm continually learning important things about the justice system I didn't know until I started um, studying for these books that you couldn't even speak at your own trial until 1898. Wow. So you could go to be hung without even being able to say a word in your own defense. Mm-hmm. And then women of course even worse for them, they're not even considered a human under the law. They're considered the property of either the father mm-hmm. or the husband. And so that makes it really difficult for them to even, there, there's no men on the jury. There's no men that are lawyers. There's no one to give them a voice. Yeah. And I did really love watching Tiffany, like uh, both for like the feminist themes, but also because it was very, very entertaining to watch her kind of navigate being a, a woman in society at the time, but then also, you know, trying to be a man and take on the persona of her brother during that time period. And that is very, very gross about the the mouse hair, <laughs> like you <laughs> mentioned. Also the, the padding certain body parts is also a little disturbing as well. Right, right. <laughs> oh it can look a little larger, a little yeah. extra <laughs> I love that. Uh, but those those scenes were really, really funny. And like as a reader, um, there there's a scene where Tiffany has to be in the same place and be both herself and her brother. And uh, like as a reader, you're on the edge of your seat like, oh, this is so stressful. Like how is she going to pull that off? Like so how fun was that scene for you to write? Um, it definitely has a Shakespeare feel to it because mm-hmm. I think you, you see mostly in Shakespeare, women dress up as men and dress up as women. Um, and usually when the female characters have the best lines is when they're just acting as a man. And Tiffany really focuses on that. She's just like, oh my gosh, dress as my brother. I can make my own choices. I can read whatever I want. I can go wherever I want. Yeah. Oh, there's 
so much freedom in being a man. And at that time, a lot of people say, oh, that's not believable. But we know several women dressed up as men during the Civil War and fought on both sides and actually received pensions. Wow. So dressing up like a man is is actually historically accurate. If you wanted to have freedom, a lot of women, that I wouldn't say a lot, but women did do that. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just justifying myself. I think it's, I love that scene just because it's, it's just a comedy of errors. And Tiffany is trying so hard and making so many mistakes, which I think makes her a really likable heroine for me is she is so flawed, but she's also willing to give everyone else the benefit of the doubt because she realizes her own and that, you know, her own failings. She's such a great character. I enjoyed her so, so, so much. She might be one of my favorite protagonists of yours so far. And you have, of course, like written and published many books now. I seriously am just so proud of you and excited for you. And it's been fun to watch everything that you've been doing. Um, But some of your books are adult and some are YA. So what is the biggest difference for you when you're writing an adult book versus when you're writing a YA book? Um, That's such a great question. I would say kind of like we talked about before, I feel like almost any YA book has an aspect of coming of age mm-hmm. of this is who I'm uh, this is the person I'm going to be this is the path I'm going to choose um it's nice that adults can be so smart um writing adult characters they don't have to be as unfinished they don't have to be as unsure and they can know so much um but I used to work with teens and I discovered when I as, as a librarian and I discovered that teenagers like to be treated like adults they want to mm-hmm. be respected they want to be heard and I try to do the same thing with my characters I don't try to dumb down my young adult characters at all I try to give them the same respect I would give an adult yeah oh, I love that that's a, a perfect answer um and I feel like that's so true about YA readers I think people definitely underestimate them a lot um, and I think that they're uh, very, very smart, intelligent readers that are are ready to read books that sometimes editors don't think they're they're ready for. And so I appreciate that you do that. Um, and I also have to mention, so this book, like we said, it's a mystery. So you're also like, as you're writing this book, you're threading all these themes, this character development, you're doing all this dialogue, these fun, like witty moments, but you're also incorporating a mystery. So like, how did you plot that out? Um, Mostly with the mystery. I think the important part is it is a cozy mystery. And as much as I love mouse fur as being eyebrows and all the weird things I learned about this time period, it's important that the mystery still is the shiniest part of the story. Mm-hmm. And, um, I came up with the idea just I don't know where it's, it's macabre about you know a young woman a woman burying her brother in the backyard and, and, and taking over his identity and I was really like where could I put this in history and make it believable and that's why I chose the early 1780s is because men wore makeup they wore wigs they wore coats that went down to their knees that were called um skirt coats they were even called uh-huh. skirt coats and so I thought we could she we could get away with doing this at this time period. And then the mystery. So I knew that our brother was dead. I needed to know how he died, why he died, and um, and also not make it too obvious. And I hope I hope it works out. I, I love the fact that 
it has to do with him in this in the town and working for the Duke of Beaufort in the palace and just all the dynamics where she's a, sometimes she's a servant, sometimes she's an equal, sometimes she is somewhere in between. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I just feel like that um, that premise, that initial spark is just so smart. Like, sure, it's it's a little bit dark, right? Her brother dies and she buries him in the backyard and then assumes his identity. But then somebody else dies in like the same type of a way. And now not only are we immersed in a mystery, but then it's like, oh, crap, she buried her brother and he was probably murdered. So what do we do now? Like, what a predicament. Well, and is someone going to still try to kill her because she's dressing up as him? And, Mm -hmm. you know, why and who and how? And yeah, exactly. Like, talk about high stakes. Thank you. Yeah. And I, we have to, so we have to mention the romance in this book because I just loved your love interest. He was so adorable and swoony. And I know I didn't include this in the questions that I sent to you in advance, but can you just tell us a little bit about him? Because I just loved him. His name is Mr. Samir Lathrop and he's the local bookseller. And his father used to work for the uh, East Indian Company. And so he is half Indian. And um, he also uh, struggles with a little bit of racial prejudice and justice. But he is just so handsome, so charming. And I think what really draws him to Tiffany is he's the first man to treat her like an equal. Um, He assumes she's intelligent. He listens to her opinion. And he encourages her to read to explore to think on uh, on her own and while that might not be as shocking today at that time it would have it was very rare right and he's bookish so just like ideal dream book boyfriend right a librarian and a bookseller that is the perfect combination (laughs) exactly oh i absolutely loved him okay so can you tell us anything about what you're working on now um, this is a great question. So there is a sequel to A Novel Disguise, and it is Yay. called Once Upon a Murder. Love it. And you're going to hear more of Samara and Tiffany, because I love those two. And how this book really focused on um, the castle of Otranto and um, gothic, gothic romances or mysteries. The next book focuses on fairy tales. Oh, fun. And so that's why it's Once Upon a Murder. And um, just finishing the last few edits on that, and it comes out in February of 2024. How exciting. I already can't wait. And you're always working on so many different things. I mean, how how many books have you had come out in like the, the last year? That is a good question. Um, in January, <laughs> I had... Um, Secret of the Sonnets come out. It's a Regency mystery, but mostly focused on romance. Um, and then I had a straight-up Regency romance from Harlow Quinn come out in in February. It's called The Marquis and the Runaway Lady. Um, and obviously, A Novel Disguise comes out this month. And I have another Harlow Quinn coming out in August called Debutante with a Dangerous Past. Wow. So I've been very, very, very busy. Oh my goodness, girl. You are killing it. I'm so excited for you. I love all my characters. So it's just a delight when someone enjoys them too. 
Oh, I'm so glad. And uh, as one of your your early readers and one of your avid readers, like just, you know, keep them coming. We, we love Samantha Hastings and Samantha Larson books. They're fabulous. Yes, I should have clarified. I write cozies under Samantha Larson and romances under Samantha Hastings. Thank you for clarifying. Yeah, absolutely. So listeners, be sure to check out her books under both names. And then, Samantha, before we sign off, do you want to just let our listeners know how they can connect with you online and keep up to date on all your upcoming book releases? Thank you. Um, If you go to my website, samanthahastings.com, I have a monthly newsletter where I tend to do a giveaway every month and um, keep you up to date on the fun things that are happening. Also, I'm on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram under Samantha Hastings Author. Um, I'm also on BookBub and library thing and some other ones as well. Um, I love connecting with my readers and I love history. So any quirky details, please send them my way. Wonderful. Well, Samantha, thank you so, so much for taking the time to chat with me. It has just been such a pleasure and I hope I get to see you in real life soon. I do too. We'll we'll make it happen. And listeners, thank you for joining us. We will be back with another episode soon, so stay tuned. That's all for today's episode. Be sure to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at Get Cozy Podcast to see which authors we'll be hosting in our upcoming episodes. Thanks so much for listening, and until next time, happy reading and stay cozy. Stay cozy.